Welcome to the Michelleness Project. This is a conversation about fitness, mindfulness, happiness, healthiness, and all the other Nesses we'll encounter along the way. I'm Michelle Mason, a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and I'll be your host along this journey. Hello, and welcome back to the Michelleness Project. After a long and somewhat unintended hiatus, I am really happy to be back on the microphone with you guys. And so I wanted to jump on, even though I'm already off of my normal recording schedule and doing things a little bit differently, but, um, you know, I had the energy and the bandwidth today, so I wanted to hop on and give you guys a quick life update, training update, and kick things off with the return of the podcast with a little Q&A. So for those of you who reached out to me in the last month or so asking where I've been, why there haven't been any new podcasts, first of all, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You have no idea how much it means to me that A, you enjoy this podcast and you listen to it weekly and you noticed its absence. Um, That's huge in and of itself because that means you care and that means that I'm doing something that you know, I'm I'm putting out something of value for you. So that means the absolute world to me. And it also shows that you care about me because you know me well enough at this point, if you've been a regular listener or you're a client of mine, or we've worked together in some capacity that I preach about consistency all the time. And, you know, I've mentioned at a few different points that I really wanted to this to be a consistent project. But also, if you know me, you know that I'm a you know, a big proponent of listening to your body and doing what feels right for you. And so while, you know, there were definitely points that I was frustrated and I felt like I should get on the microphone and record a podcast because I hadn't done so in a while, I knew that ultimately it was the right time to take a little break and to prioritize my mental health, my physical well-being, my time with my family, and all of that other stuff. So, Um, I did want to give you guys a little bit of context here and a little bit of backstory about kind of what's gone on over this summer and the last couple weeks specifically, I guess the last two months specifically, Um, because, you know, I do think that it's helpful to be vulnerable and to share and be transparent because I think that a lot of you can relate to these struggles. And even if you can't, I think it's helpful to hear how people handle stuff like this so that you can apply this in your own life, you know, because I do think it's important to not overextend yourself during times of stress. And, um, you know, when you have different life things going on, I think you have to really make your like priority list and kind of knock off anything that is not a need to do. Um, and you know, so that's kind of where we were this summer. So to keep a very long and complicated story short, I started noticing some, um, abdominal symptoms earlier in the summer. And frankly, like most moms in the summer, I'm sure the, any parents, moms, dads can relate to this. Um, I kind of ignored it for a while. I was getting pain and cramping and some nausea. I, it didn't seem to matter what I ate. Sometimes it would happen when I was hungry. Sometimes it would happen when I was full. I would get a lot of bloating and pain and discomfort. And it was more, I would say, annoying than anything else. But there were some definite moments of like tears and crying and vomiting and really not feeling well. 
Um, but I tried to ignore it because this was summer and, you know, at the beginning of the summer, things were feeling, you know, hopeful with this COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, there was more relaxed capacity for things like traveling, more people were vaccinated, we were doing more things like going to amusement parks and, you know, play dates and things like that. And I just had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to do with them, you know, um, it I was really looking forward to that time together. And I think as parents, you fall into one of two categories. You're like the type of person who loves to stay at home. This is my husband. Like he will like come up with something for the kids to get into and they will, you know, if I leave for the day, like they're at home all day. And when I get home, it's like, what did you do today? And it's like, oh, we played in the yard for a little bit. We did this, we did that. That is just not me as a parent. Like I have a hard time myself personally with relaxing. And I think I definitely like pass that on to the kids a little bit. I'm more of a doer. I want to do stuff. I want to plan activities and I like having pool days and play dates and things like that. Don't get me wrong. I really need downtime as well, but I wanted to prioritize that with my kids. So I was definitely running around more than normal, ignoring a lot of the symptoms. And then finally, I kind of had a breaking point. I traveled a lot in July and on the first trip, I just felt so bad. I was like, I have to go to a doctor and get this looked at. Now, meanwhile, I'm doing all of the stuff, you know, that you try to do over the counter where I'm taking like all the Tums and the Pepsid and things like that. And I'm, you know, getting uh, insight and advice from, I have doctors and pharmacists in my family. I'm reaching out to some of the um, holistic practitioners in my life. Shout out to Evie from Holistically Restored. She was a wonderful resource during this time and really doing my research with you know, her and some other functional medicine people, as well as some doctors. Um, Gabrielle Fondaro is a P, I think her Instagram handle is vitamin PhD. And she's a doctor who specializes in gut health. And so I started doing a lot of um, like a deep dive into her research and work and also highly recommend her. So, you know, I was doing as much research as I could to try to figure out, but I knew that ultimately I needed to be looked at. So very long story again, try to make it as short as possible. Uh, went to a doctor. They suspected that I might have an ulcer. They got some numbers on some blood work that they didn't like. So I had to do a abdominal ultrasound and ultimately an endoscopy, um, which revealed that I had just a mild case of gastritis. So thankfully, everything scary was ruled out. They tested me for things like celiac, um, because I do have Hashimoto's, I'm far more likely to get another autoimmune condition. And, um, you know, I, I know that I am sensitive if I do imbibe too much gluten. I try to, you know, really minimize it as much as possible. So they tested me for that. They tested me for H. pylori, which is a bacterial infection that can lead to gastritis and ulcers. And luckily that was ruled out as well. Doesn't mean that I didn't have it at one point. I did have a sinus infection early in the summer and an ear infection. I was put on antibiotics at that time. So perhaps the antibiotics helped to clear some of that infection up. Who really knows? I'm learning that I may never know what caused it, <laughs> um, but I am grateful that you know, I was um, starting to feel better by that point. I was managing my stress a little bit better. I was trying to run around a little bit less with the kids and prioritize more relaxation. I started meditating a lot more. And once I had the gastritis diagnosis, I was able to like really get honest with myself 
with what I thought may have been some of the culprits. And for me, the list of causes, the the ones that really stood out to me were uh, excess stress, which again, I've already mentioned that I felt pretty stressed and it was all good stuff, but it was like traveling and entertaining the kids and running here and there and trying to maintain my you know, relationships with my clients and make sure I was on top of work and reviewing their videos and responding in a timely manner. So, you know, I was in a pretty stressful time that was largely self-induced, I'll admit. And I was also um, probably drinking too much coffee. That was the other thing that really stood out. And so those were the, the two things that I really have spent this time zeroing in on to try to cut back on. I don't know about anybody else, but I definitely have talked to other people who, you know, after the year that we had in 2020 with the quarantine and everything like that, um, you know, a lot of people have mentioned picking up old habits and developing bad habits when it comes to their food, their nutrition, or things that they thought that they had gotten rid of that are suddenly rearing their heads again. And in my case, I definitely found that to be the case with caffeine. I found myself being at home and you know, when I used to work in a gym, I would take my mug of coffee in the morning and that would be pretty much it for the day. Maybe I would run out and get a coffee at like 11, but you know, it was really like two cups of coffee a day and I would cut myself off at 11. But since being home more in 2020, I really got used to making more coffees or like if I was out on a walk, I would stop and get an iced coffee. Shout out to the Sailor Park coffee shop in my neighborhood. They're wonderful and they always make it such a pleasant experience to stop in there that I want to support them as much as possible. But I just love coffee. I love the ritual of it. And I just started drinking more of it. It became just an easy go-to to feel like I was changing my mental state or my equilibrium. You know, it gave me something to do that was not, um, you know, eating food or drinking alcohol or what I felt to be more detrimental. I kind of looked at caffeine as the lesser of two evils. I started occasionally drinking Diet Cokes again and Coke Zeros because, you know, again, like I don't have a problem with those things. I just try not to do anything in excess, but, you know, more of them are sneaking into my daily routine and things like that. So that is kind of where I've been. I've been focusing on cleaning up the caffeine side of things, managing my stress a little bit more. Highly recommend, I started looking into binaural beats for meditation and sleep and focus, and those have been helping me a lot. It's actually pretty crazy how different I feel, and I just have been using free playlists on Spotify. So um, if you are like me and you struggle with still meditation, I definitely am a more of a moving meditation person. Like if I want to meditate or get out of my head or work through something or be present, I will tend to go for a walk or go hiking. I just tend to gravitate towards those things. Um, but when it comes to stilling my mind when I am trying to sit or lay and do a 10, 20 minute meditation, I have a harder time with that. And this has really been helping me. So all that to say, I'm feeling a ton better, but as part of my, you know, healing process, I kind of just took stock of everything that I absolutely needed to do. And my non-negotiables are always, you know, my family. I want to make sure that my husband and kids are prioritized, their needs, 
And I also want to make sure that my training is on point. I just started training for a powerlifting meet, which I'm super excited about. I'll touch on that more in a minute. Um, So my training is really important to me and obviously my work and my clients. I love what I do, you guys. So I always need to make sure that I am in the best mental shape to serve you guys. I've talked to this about, I've talked with this about other coaches, but one of the things I don't think that people realize if you are working with a trainer or a coach is that um, there is a huge mental toll that this role can take on you. And I am not saying that I am not grateful. I love my job and I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. But I'm sure you've probably heard people joke that trainers are therapists. um, And unfortunately, that's not so, so far off from the truth. And it's one of those things where there's a high burnout in my field, actually. I think the the burnout rate for a certified trainer, once they get their certification, I believe it's two years, and I'm going on uh, year 12 or 13. So uh, in that time, I have really learned how to manage my bandwidth for the emotional toll and capacity that I have um, for this. So you know, when I was working with people in person, it was a very like obviously draining thing. Like by the end of the day, after just hearing so much and, and, and being unloaded on emotionally, I would literally have to like ride home in silence and then sit in my car for 15 minutes to decompress before I could go in my house to be with my family because I wanted to be able to be present with them. Or sometimes I would walk the dog. Now that I am in this online space and I'm not doing too many one-on-ones in person or on, uh, you know, via Zoom virtual sessions, I have to figure out different ways to balance that, you know, because I can't control when someone is going to have a bad day or when they're going to, you know, share something with me or what their mental state is when they're sharing something with me. And I have to try to navigate that, but also respect that I can't always take all of this stuff on, you know? Um, so, you know, this is kind of like a little bit of a tangent, but it's just, I wanted you guys to see kind of like behind the curtain what kind of goes on, that it's not just, you know, writing workouts and telling somebody what their form looked like. You know, oftentimes I'm the first person to know besides their, you know, significant other or their doctor if someone's pregnant, if they've had infant loss, if they're struggling with an eating disorder, if they're coming back from an injury, if they're depressed, what is going on in their life? You know, I am like the, the third person or whatever that's called. Where like, you know, somebody usually has like one person that they go to, like in their significant other, if they're in a relationship and then they have like another person, like I'm usually that person for people. And again, I love that. And I want to help people. And I recognize that what I do is so much more than prescribing sets and reps. It's really helping people to be mentally strong and able to control their mental state in order to achieve their physical results. And so I I recognize that close tie-in and I don't want to change that relationship. But when I'm having these times where I'm already stressed out, it's not the best time for me to respond. And so I'm starting to take steps. You know, if I, if somebody is unloading something on me, I sometimes have to pause and come back to it when I'm in a refresh state, when I feel like I can emotionally reply to it in the way that they need me to. 
And so I've, you know, definitely taken more time and more of a step back. And like I said, at the beginning of this, I, this little break with the podcasting was, was largely unintentional. I did have some travel in there that I knew I wouldn't be able to get a podcast in those weeks. But I also just looked at this as something that like, I didn't need to do. Like if I had the choice, if I had an hour free, I took it to like rest, to meditate, to read, to just sit on my porch, you know, take a nap instead of doing this, because that would recharge me more so that I could then be in a better mental state for my clients. So hopefully that all makes sense to you. And, you know, you can relate to that somewhat. And um, that's, you know, kind of what was going on with me. But let's flip things a little bit. Um, Something exciting is that, like I mentioned, I am training for my first powerlifting meet in a few years. I have done some mock meets in my house and with my friends. Um, Shout out to Barbara Strength, my good friend and brother-in-law, Mike Griggs. Uh, He hosted some fantastic little mock meets during uh, quarantine. And, um, you know, this is just, it's, it's a good time for me to be focusing in on this. Like my kids are back in school now. I had a summer where I traveled a lot and I focused on strengthening my weaknesses, a lot of single leg stuff, a lot of dumbbell workouts and higher volume hypertrophy style training. And it feels really good to be back under a bar again. (laughs) Um, So I'll compete in November and I'll definitely keep you guys posted on my training process. If you guys have any questions related to powerlifting or want to know more, please let me know. I know I've talked a little bit about it here, but I haven't gotten too much into it because, you know, I'm not really sure if it's something you're interested in, but I would like to be able to kind of at least keep you guys posted on my training journey over the next uh, 12 and a half weeks or so, um, until I take the platform again. And so I will, you know, definitely do that. But I did want to quickly say that it was funny because, um, I did that episode, uh, in July about the deload, what a deload was and things like that. And one of the common questions being, will I lose my strength? And, you know, if I, if I take a deload or I take some time away from training and I said, you know, no, you you might lose a little bit of strength, but it's mostly going to be like, you know, you're going to feel like you've lost more because that technique is not going to be as fresh in your mind. And that was so true. I was like almost laughing to myself at how comically bad it was. Like the first couple times I was squatting under the bar again, I felt like a baby giraffe because I hadn't done it for a couple months. And it really took me about three weeks to feel like, okay, I'm back in my groove here. So, you know, use that to, to help make yourself feel better if you have taken a hiatus from training this summer and are just getting back to it as well, uh, that it will be pretty rough at first. Like I, like I said, it was like almost comical, you know, having to, to almost relearn everything, but it's like once you do that, you go through it a couple times, that neuromuscular memory kicks in and, and so then things started firing as they should. And so now it's coming back and I'm feeling a lot better, but there was a rough couple weeks there. <laughs> uh, okay. I think that is a good where uh, place to cap my little update for today. Um, and let's get into some Q and a couple of questions. I've got three questions today that I wanted to go over. So the first question, this is a really common one. If you work with me, you 
likely will see in your true coach when I'm writing up your programming, I will prescribe a certain amount of rest between your sets. You know, I might suggest, you know, rest two to four minutes here, rest, you know, one to two minutes here, things like that. And somebody who just starts working with me, I've been asked this a lot and it came up again last week with a new client. She said, what do you want me to do between sets? And it always makes me laugh at first because it, it really depends on the person, but this particular person um, was coming from a group fitness background. She was going to, I believe it was Orange Theory classes. I can't, it was either like Orange Theory or Burn Bootcamp, one of the, the high intensity interval training places. It doesn't really matter, but you, you know what I'm talking about, like that, you know, high intensity, go, 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 keep her heart rate up the whole time type thing. And she is really not used to resting between movements. Like she, the first couple workouts would say, oh, between my sets of squats, I did planks and dead bugs. And, you know, there's, there's some people that I will program either some mobility work or maybe a corrective exercise between sets. That's fine. But with this particular person and personality type, which I tend to get a lot of, I really do want to tell them to rest between their sets, you know? So I had to just tell her like, listen, I do want you to take that time between the sets to do nothing. Um, so, you know, why we do that? How, first of all, how long you rest between sets really depends upon your goals. But let's say you are doing a set of squats for maximal strength. Like in something like powerlifting, for example, the research will say that anywhere from four to eight minutes, believe it or not, is a good rest period between your sets. It allows your muscles to recover. And if you are working hard enough, as you should be if you're in a strength cycle or you're training for something like powerlifting where you're working towards a one rep max, you should really need that time between sets to recover and to be able to do it again if you've got multiple sets. Now, I personally do tend to err on the side of shorter because I don't think that most people are managing it very closely. And I think if I told someone eight minutes, it would probably turn into like 10 to 15 and they'd be on like Instagram or Facebook in between their sets. And I don't really want that because I don't want you to take yourself out of the training session. I also recognize I personally don't do that because I don't want to spend two hours, you know, squatting. That's just me. I don't have time for that. As much as I love training, I also need it to fit into my life and not the other way around. So, you know, I tend to, to err more towards the, the three to five minute range between sets when they get super heavy. Um, so you'll definitely want one of the reasons that's one of the big reasons why you would want to take a rest period between sets is to allow yourself to recover in order to give the same effort and intensity to your next set. And other reasons that you would want to, um, you know, perhaps a shorter rest period, if you're doing like a super set or a pair of exercises or a circuit, you know, there are times that we do want to get your heart rate up. I will program some conditioning circuits for people where we're still doing strength-based movements, but we're doing them a little bit faster. We might be doing them for time, or we might have less rest between movements. And, you know, that's essentially, you know, my way of sneaking in a little bit of cardiovascular training. (laughs) So, um, you know, there is some, there's some wiggle room with where we would put 
rest and how much rest we would prescribe. But it is important if it's listed to take it and to understand, you know, why you're doing it. When you are doing strength training, resistance training, for the most part, unless we are sneaking in a little bit of conditioning work with, like I just said, like a, like a circuit or something like that, 80 to 90% of your training, we want you to be able to lift the most amount of weight that you can with the best possible form. So you need that recovery time between the sets. So it's just, I think, important mentally to get yourself into that mindset and to understand the purpose of it and why you need to do it and to to really resist that urge to turn everything into a high-intensity class and be doing, you know, burpees and whatever else in between your sets of squats. If you're doing that, you're not working to your full capacity, I promise. Your form is going to start to deteriorate. You're not going to be able to do as many reps or keep up the same amount of weight. Um, so what I do now, I will laugh here as well because I work out at home and I'm in my basement. I'm right next to my laundry room. It is not uncommon for me to go and pop a load of laundry in between sets or to fold a couple, you know, clothing items or swap things from the washer to the dryer or something like that. I have one client who we kind of joke about it. She'll comment on her workout, like between my sets, I unloaded the dishwasher today and stuff like that is fine. If it's like, you really have a hard time with the, just like sitting and resting, um, you can do that. So you can do something like recovery based, you know, if you're walking around the gym, you can get some steps in. If you, you know, um, like I said, or at home, you can do something that's not really going to take too much effort or intensity. You can grab a drink of water. I don't recommend oftentimes getting on your phone because I think that again, can be a time suck or to take you kind of out of that mental state of training, but maybe you like put on a new song and you just like get hyped up and you just like move around or you think about what you did on the last set and how you can improve on this set. One of the millions of reasons why I will encourage you to always record videos of yourself when you're training, not just because I want my clients to send me videos for form checks so that I can make sure that they're doing it properly, but it's also so valuable for you to be able to see your form. So if you're recording a video of yourself, you can then watch the video while you're resting. Say you have a two minute rest period prescribed that gives you enough time to grab a drink of water if you need it. And then look at your video and determine, okay, I could have probably, you know, widened my stance a little bit here, better position here, you know, things like that. It starts to build self-efficacy when you can look at your own videos and determine what you need to change for the next time. So that's something that I always encourage people to do. Even if you don't submit it to me, you know, like most people don't submit videos of every single exercise to me, usually just if they have a question on something or something didn't feel right and they want my feedback. Um, but you know, even if you're just doing it for you and no one ever sees it, it's hugely helpful. So, you know, that's really what I say, you know, give yourself time to just breathe. If you do feel like, Oh, my shoulders felt a little tight on that set. Maybe you do want to do a corrective exercise, like some banded over and backs or some wall slides. Or if you felt like you weren't getting good core activation, maybe you can do a set of dead bugs. So there's nothing wrong with doing you know, some mobility or some corrective stuff in there. 
but it shouldn't be super intense and it shouldn't be at the expense of your rest period, if that makes sense. Actually resting and recovering, giving yourselves a, your, giving your muscles a chance to recover before they hit the next set is going to be optimal for making sure that you get that full muscle contraction, the full expression of strength. So I hope that helps. All right. The, um, this is a good one. I get this question a lot. And someone asked me last week, what exercise is, (laughs) I am having a hard time talking today. I I promise you guys I'll get it together in the next couple weeks. (laughs) What are the exercises that you program the least or never program? And I thought this was a great one. Like I said, people have always been very curious about you know, hearing the exercises that I love to program and exercises that I hate to program or never will program. And so since this comes up a lot, I thought this would be a great question to talk about. Um, Let me actually start by saying the exercises that I will most commonly program or that are staples in like 99.9% of my clients programming. And I'm talking from my teenage athletes to my 90 year olds So like everybody is doing some version of this, um, some version of a getup, whether it is a shin box, get up a half kneeling, get up supported with your hands using furniture, a Turkish get up, some sort of get up from the floor to standing is hugely beneficial for everyone. There are a few exceptions to this rule. But that is one thing that every person needs from a functional standpoint, right? You need to be able to get yourself down and up off the floor, especially important as you age. So that finds its way into some variation of a get up finds its way into just about everybody's programming. Um, I'll also say that glute bridges, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here, in some form, make their way into just about everybody's. With our, you know, culture and the way that we sit so frequently, we all need a little bit more glute activation and posterior chain work. I tend to prioritize posterior chain work over the more quad dominant things. Um, And so some form of glute bridges are going to work themselves into just about everybody's programming. The same thing with dead bugs. My clients love to roll their eyes because you know, I have some people that are like, oh my God, how many versions of dead bugs do you know? And the answer is a lot. Like I, I couldn't even begin to count the, the number of dead bug variations. I could probably make a whole 12 week program for somebody just out of dead bug variations. So don't piss me off or that might be your next program. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but seriously, like dead bugs are so so important for everyone. They teach us proper bracing and breathing for heavier lifts. They teach us, you know, position control of our trunk and our limbs. So when you're moving in things like squats and lunges, it makes more sense if you are really good at dead bugs. Um, That positional awareness and control is super important and the stability that it provides. And so just about everybody is doing dead bugs, some variation of them. Let's see what else. Um, I tend to do a lot of back exercises, whether that's, you know, rowing variations, Romanian deadlifts, deadlifts. 
Obviously, you're getting the hamstrings and glutes in that too. And then some form of a squat, whether that's um, like a chair squat or a goblet squat, barbell squat variations and things like that. So those are the ones that I program the most. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in there. I'm sure I'll think of like 10 other ones, but those are off the top of my head, the, the ones that I program the most frequently. And really, honestly, um, if you just did those exercises for the rest of your life, like you would be all set. So much of the other stuff is really just helping your mind to stay engaged, um, you know, giving you fun little challenges, but really like people make exercises way too complicated and they really don't need to be simple is better in my opinion. Um, okay. So the least programmed exercises, the ones that I program the least or never, Uh, burpees are at the top of that list. I fucking hate burpees. I think that no one does them correctly. They are the most bastardized movement. If you go to a group fitness class, um, if you go to a group fitness class and they tell you, all right, we're going to do 100 burpees or we're going to do burpees for a minute, run the other way. Seriously, you're nobody is doing burpees um, for time and for high volume properly. I can promise you that. So it's just the risk to reward, not worth it in my opinion. There are some, you know, times and exceptions where I might say like, you know, a plank to squat thrust, like where you put your hands on the ground, jump back into a plank position, jump back into a squat position and stand up. But the full progression of a burpee, I haven't programmed in probably eight years at least. And prior to that, I'm really, really sorry. That's just one of those like live and learn things. You know, when I used to teach classes and I would throw some like Tabata work in there, some like high intensity interval stuff into a class. And I thought that's what people wanted at the time. I think I, you know, as a coach, I've evolved where in the beginning, I really cared what people thought and I wanted to make it interesting and, you know, give them what they wanted and give them all these options. And I thought that was what I needed to do to be a popular coach. And I have since realized that it's, that's not my job or responsibility. My job is to keep you safe and to get you strong and to help you move better. So frankly, I don't really care if you come and work with me and you're offended that you're not doing burpees or sweating in a leaving a pool of sweat all over the floor. That's not a sign of a good workout and making you tired is not my goal. I want you to leave a session feeling better. Um, So to that end, I guess the other things that would have to fall into that category would be any like high volume box jumps or squat jumps or, oh God, split squat jumps. Woof. Like very few people can do those properly. Now I will say if you do low rep and sets of those, uh, or at least low rep, you know, split squat jumps, those can be very effective. So I guess I won't say I never program those. They are one of the lesser programmed things that I will do. But man, most people you'll see just like crazy lower back arching and their forms breaking down, their knees are caving in and it just is a recipe for disaster. So those definitely are on the list of least programmed. And then I had a conversation with a client last week who was actually really surprised that I put mountain climbers in her program. And in my defense, so I will say that 
I never prescribe mountain climbers like the ones that you're thinking of when you think of like um, group fitness workouts or like Jillian Michaels and things like that, where you're moving as quickly as possible, you know, running your knees in place in that plank position. Again, I did that back in the day. I was just as guilty as any group fitness instructor, but here's what you'd see people's asses up in the air, their shoulders way behind their wrists. Nobody's using their core. Everybody's like just hanging on their joints here, using their shoulders and wrists and lower backs. And it was a hot mess. So that's another one of those ones that if you're in a class or taking a, a workout, you know, doing a video or something and they're telling you like to do a minute of mountain climbers and moving fast, just stop, please God stop. Um, so for this particular client, I gave her a, like what I call a mountain climber, but it's very different than what you think of when you think of mountain climber, you're in a full plank position. So your hands are directly below your shoulders. So wrists are stacked below elbows, are stacked below shoulders, right? So picture this, and then you're in a straight line from head to toe. So chin is tucked, you're reaching forward with the crown of your head, reaching back with your heels, so very straight. I want a slight posterior tilt, meaning that I want you to kind of think about tilting your tailbone between your legs, squeezing your glutes hard, pulling your ribs and hips together. I use that that cue a lot because it gives you a good visual of how to really use your core and the proper alignment that you should be in. So once you're in that perfect alignment, you're going to slowly pull one knee into your elbow and then return back to the starting position and switch. So you will do those slowly and with control. And if those are done correctly, they can be an awesome exercise, but I will never prescribe just, you know, that flailing around mountain climber. Um, let's see. I don't do a lot of crunches. I love reverse crunches where you're like pulling your knees into your chest, but I hate just a regular crunch. Um, you know, a lot of that started, I think because of all of the postnatal work I was doing and just hearing more, learning more about abdominal separation and things like that. And realizing that you, you know, again, the more I learned through the years, people, can have abdominal separation, men, women, you don't have to have had kids, things like that. You know, it exacerbates that. It's again, one of those things that few people do correctly where they're really just like yanking on their neck and pulling their necks up and using speed and momentum versus actually trying to like activate their rectus abdominis and pulling themselves into abdominal flexion. Abdominal flexion is not a bad thing. I just, um, I don't do it a lot. I think especially via an app, it's a harder thing to coach. I don't want to, again, there's always risk to reward, you know, when it comes to what I program for people. And frankly, there's a ton of other things that I can do with a lower risk to you hurting your neck or whatever than a crunch. It's just not, it's not worth it if I'm, if I'm not right in front of you to coach you through it. Um, okay. So I'll stop there with that one. I have one more and this is really, it's not a direct question. It was more of a conversation that I had with a nutrition client last week. And it is something that I get asked all the time. And I thought it was a really, really good one. Um, I thought it would make a good, a good topic because so many people ask some iteration of this question. Essentially, she just wanted to know, you know, she is in a fat loss phase. She's trying to lose some weight. She does not have an issue with alcohol. So let me be very clear. She is not an alcoholic um, or, you know, have risk factors for that. 
But she was saying that she notices when she drinks on the weekends with her friends that then she tends to eat, you know, fried foods. And she's just getting really frustrated because she's like, you know, I'm recognizing that drinking alcohol on the weekends isn't helping my progress, but I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to not do it because that's what my friends do. So again, this was our conversation, but like I said, you know, I've heard so many versions of this question through the years, how to not drink, how to drink less, what should I do if other people are drinking and I don't want to, all of these kind of questions have come up. So, um, so again, I want to just reiterate, like, this is one of those things where everyone is different and you really have to look within yourself to, kind of understand the best path for you. Obviously, if you struggle with your relationship to alcohol or you have family history um, or, you know, other reasons why you probably should not be drinking alcohol, um, I would definitely, you know, work with you to have a different response here, you know, of abstaining from it. I think there's nothing wrong with cutting something out of your life that frankly, you know, is not serving you, even if it's not a problem yet, or, you know, you just don't want it to become one. Um, so I will, I will gear this more towards the people who don't have an issue for with alcohol, but maybe you're just struggling because they like recognize different patterns, like this client that I spoke with last week. Um, the first thing I'll say is, you know, I think it's one of those things like I wouldn't be so hard on yourself if it's like a social situation. So let's say like on Saturday, you know, you're going out with friends and you know, they're going to be drinking and you know, it's going to be really hard for you to abstain. First of all, if you want to abstain, again, do what is right for you. There is no one that should be forcing you to drink. Um, I think that if you go and you decide ahead of time that you don't want to drink because you're like, you know what, I'm trying to lose 10 pounds and this is really important to me. And I know that if I have a drink, I'll want three and then I'll want pizza and yada, yada, yada down the list. Um, it might be the best choice for you to abstain from it. If you go that route, I would be clear and firm with whomever you're with you know, if someone offers you a drink or says, I'm going to the bar, I would just say, no, thank you. I'm not drinking right now. Or no, thanks. You know, I've got to get up early or, you know, I wouldn't lie, but I also would be like, you know, pretty brief about it because honestly, you don't owe anyone an explanation for what you're putting in your body or what you're not putting in your body. Um, but I know that sometimes in the moment it can feel easier to, you know, say something like, oh, you know, can't deal with the hangover tomorrow because I got to be up early, you know, with kids or whatever. Um, whatever you end up saying, just be clear and firm, but do not make a big deal about it. If you start saying things like, oh, well, man, I wish I could drink right now, but I'm not, I'm trying to like lose some weight. And I feel like if I have one drink, then I'll want three and then I'll eat pizza. And I just, I just, oh, I wish I could. That looks so good. You know, if you start doing stuff like that, you're done for. First of all, like no one cares as much as you do. So most people are going to be cool with just a simple, no, I'm not drinking right now. Or, you know, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm just going to stick with water or whatever tonight. Um, so if you don't make a big deal about it, nobody else will. If you start making a big deal about it and talking and like talking yourself in circles, 
A, it might come across that you're judging the other people, you know, which again, you shouldn't care what they're putting in their bodies either, right? This works two ways. Um, and yeah, like you should just, you shouldn't, you just shouldn't make a big deal about it if, if that's your choice. Okay. Um, but to go back to, let's say, you know, your friends are going to be drinking and you want to, and you know, it will be hard not to imbibe. Again, I would say not to be so hard on yourself. And I would just say to plan for it. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a couple of drinks if you can set a boundary for yourself here, especially. Um, so let's say for the person who is in maintenance, my answer is going to be a little bit different because obviously you have like a little bit more wiggle room calorically. You have more calories to spend. So you might be able to get away with a little bit more. But for somebody who wants to stay on track, does not want to let alcohol derail their progress, I would say to go into it in advance saying, okay, I'm going to have two or three drinks. I will I will tell my clients, log those drinks first thing in the morning. If you know you're going out on a Saturday and you think you're going to want to have drinks, log them in your food tracking app first and then reverse engineer the rest of the day around it. First of all, if you log it in advance, you're like telling yourself like, hey, this is what I'm doing. You're more likely to stick to it. If you just say, I'm going to try not to drink tonight, but you know you're really going to want to. If you then go out and you don't have a plan in place, you might have four or five, six beers or cocktails or whatever, and you haven't accounted for them because you didn't log them, right? So in my opinion, if you think that it's even likely that this will happen, I would log those drinks first thing in the morning, reverse engineer the rest of your day around it, and then stick to your plan. That's, you know a great way to, to be able to feel like you're participating and yet you're also exhibiting some control here. It's also going to remind you like, I don't need five or six drinks to participate. I can have two or three and then feel like I'm still doing what everybody else is doing. I'm having fun. I'm relaxing a little bit, but I'm not like balls to the wall. And then I'm going to wake up, you know, with a piece of pizza hanging out of my mouth and, you know, a hangover. Right. So, um, yeah, let me think here. So, okay. Yeah. So planning for it would be one tip I have. Again, if you're not going to drink or you don't, or you decide that night is just not worth it for you because you'd rather, you know, see your results on the scale faster. Because by the way, again, just a reminder, and I drink too. I, I love to have a I, nice IPA or vodka soda, but your alcohol consumption is doing you no favors. Like if you are drinking, you are telling your body to prioritize the, you know, digestion or I'm sorry, it will blunt the digestion of everything else because it's got to prioritize getting that alcohol out of your system because it's a toxin. It perceives it as a toxin. So your liver and everything, nothing is, nobody's, you know, in your body going, Hey, okay, let's prioritize fat loss. When you're drinking alcohol, it's always going to prioritize getting the alcohol out of your system first. So you will slow your results down. Um, you know, again, if you're drinking more frequently, this is more of a concern than if you're doing it like one or two times a week, a couple drinks. So amounts really matter here. Um, so let's see what else. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, experiment with mocktails. If it's just having something in your hand, have a seltzer or, you know, whatever, like put 
you know, a drink in your hand that feels fun to you. You know, you can spruce it up with lime, lemon, whatever you want to do and have that in your hand that you're sipping or give yourself like a, I'm going to have a drink and then a glass of water or one drink every hour. There's all kinds of little like boundaries that you can set in place with yourself. But I think that's the thing is coming up with a plan in advance. You know, if you do decide that you want to drink on a weekend and again, if you decide not to drink on a weekend, more power to you. I'm just kind of giving you options for both here. Um, finally, the, the thing I would say is if you don't want to drink on the weekend or you're trying to actively drink less because you recognize that your goal right now is fat loss and you want to prioritize that and, you know, you, you have your goal in mind and it's more important to you than anything else, don't put yourself in the situation where you're forced to feel tempted. It would be like if you were trying to avoid donuts, you wouldn't go stand in the bakery every day, right? So if your friends are all going out to a bar and you know you're going to have a hard time saying no, but you really don't want to drink right now, maybe you just say like, hey, like have a great time. I'm not drinking. Um, you know, so I'm going to pass on this or don't say anything at all. Just be like, you know, have a great time, but I need some time at home. You know, whatever it is. Again, I wouldn't say it a lie, but I would definitely, um, less is more in this situation. Just be clear, succinct, simple, give the information that you need to go do. And then, you know, that's it. You know, don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. And I know that that might not be the most fun answer because, then you're losing out on like a social time and maybe you don't want to miss out on social time. And I totally get that, but that's going to be again, very individual to you and your context and what is most important to you at that time. You know, if you are trying to just, you know, you're in it for the long haul and you're making small sustainable changes, maybe you can get away with doing that, you know, once a week or a couple times a month If you are in, you know, like I said, the throes of like trying to lose weight and you really want to give your all to it, you know, it might be a good time to come up with other activities to do on the weekends. Like maybe you tell your friends, I'm not going to join you at this party, but who wants to meet me for coffee tomorrow so I can talk to you guys about what I missed or let's go for a hike tomorrow. You know, like there are a lot of options and I think areas where you can explore, um, your friendships and how to have friendships outside of alcohol too. So that's probably a far bigger discussion. So I'm going to go ahead and cap this here now. Um, But hopefully that helps give you some ideas for what to do if you don't feel like drinking or you want to try to drink less or you want to try to avoid alcohol. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and for your patience with me for these last couple of weeks. I hope to be back on the microphone here again regularly, and that really um, depends on you. I want you to send me your questions. I want to know what you want to talk about, what you'd like to hear more on, um, topic ideas, questions, you name it. I am here to listen. Thank you guys so much, and have a great day. Thanks for joining me for this podcast. It means the world to me to have you here, and I hope that you found this helpful. If you have a question that you'd like me to talk about on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can submit a question to me directly at my website, michellegmason.com, or email me at michellegmason at gmail.com. 
You can also find me on Instagram at Michelle G. Mason or request to join my private Facebook group, Michelle Mason Strong Squad. Until next time, be well.